0: So far, we're easing into the afternoon here. We got this session before an icebreaker. And you know what? I was listening to that demo, and uh, I-, I love seeing all these things. I mean, see all this, this information at once. But Turvo said something really interesting, right? The girl who opened that Turvo session, she called into question the very word supply chain, and she almost mentioned that it was, it was outdated. I found that compelling. You know, she was saying it's that web, it's that network, bringing together interconnected and interdependent
1: parts, both physical and data. Yeah, it's a great point because supply chain uh, would imply a very linear thing without that web. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree 100%. It was a great statement. I'm doing That's
0: the dude, by the way. I was so excited excited by that demo and that point. I I just (laughs) couldn't hold it back, Michael
1: Vincent. (laughs) It was
0: moving. By the way, nothing (laughs) nothing makes an event without networking. So if you haven't gone to live.freightwaves.com and joined the Slack channel, I implore you to do it. Some great conversations going on in there. One of them initiated by our own Adam Robinson. He said, as we head into building resistance through smarter supply chains, resilience through smarter supply chains, what would you say are the top ways professionals can build resilience in theirs? Blythe at uh, Freight School Playbook, she says, I'm no expert, but diversification with your relationships, building feels like the most important important right now. You know, Adam says, got to move away from that single source supplier mentality. And Kesha Eubank says, always have three points of contact at a customer location, develop relationships with them. If you have a rapport with one person, they leave the company, the business will likely leave as well. All compelling points. And then we saw best in couch winner, right? Jonathan, yeah. Wright from IBM, <laughs> right. talking about the resilience of supply chains. He had some compelling points. Um, did, did, anything you pulled out of that one?
1: Uh, with with Jonathan, there was man. There was there was so much in, inside there. And it was great. I was trying to keep up with him. Obviously, yeah. a very brilliant person. But you know, he's looking about. You know, the old and now the new. The new norm is 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 um, very volatile, right? So we're relatively just kind of stable pre previous this for, for many years, right? Very very stable type of stuff. So it was a shock to to our system. But he's you know he's talking about lack of real time information, lack of collaboration, uh, and you know maintain maintaining or managing off of historical records we can't do that anymore yeah he called it a, a windscreen you can tell his, his national origin by calling it a windscreen uh, but uh, not looking through the windshield forward uh, we're looking in the rearview mirror all the time we got to be looking forward it takes collaboration and to the points of the two people that answered Adam that's you know more collaboration with your suppliers and and with your with your customers and supply chain
0: yeah, you know, there's even more great questions coming in. John at Cargo Labs, he says, I would like to ask, how large is the digital gap in South America? And are the relationships between digital supply chain providers in the U.S. of A and South America strong enough for this new level of digital growth? Very compelling, because when you're talking about that, you're not just talking about supply chain infrastructure. The conversation has changed. It's not just about the physical anymore. It's also about that digital infrastructure. Excellent question, John at Cargo Labs. And hopefully you in the question join the Slack channel. Help him answer that one. Help us answer it as well and, and be a guiding light. Uh, Ryan Jasmine, she says, wow, LOL, great outfit Duner. Thank you very much. And uh, Victoria's <laughs> is, here as is well. <laughs> Ryder's going to be on this segment at the end. And she is very, uh, th- their guest is very excited to talk to us from there. I learned something compelling about Ryder. And this is one of those things, you know, like Bernstein Bears, yeah. Berenstein Bears. Yeah. Well, with Ryder system. It's not rider systems. do Scott ball pointed that out. And I think a lot of people may, may cause you want to kind of put the S there. Yeah. It's actually rider system. And ever since I, he told us that in our own Slack channel, about two weeks ago, I've, uh, I've looked at it everywhere. And anytime I see the S in there, I'm like, rider system.
1: You know, I've dealt with him for a long time. And when he put that in there, I had to go check to make sure he was right. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's amazing, <laughs> man. Right. Surely to God, he's wrong. Uh, nope. Caitlin, Caitlin Murphy says, can you all start a, what the ship for us freight forwarders? Uh, sure. I mean, we try to cover as much as possible on What the Truck. If you're not familiar with this show, What the Truck is our flagship podcast over here at Freight Waves. We come to you live every Monday and Friday at noon Eastern time and catch it on Freight Waves TV. You can catch it on our LinkedIn. You can catch it on our Facebook. But it's also a a podcast in both audio and video, so you can catch it on demand as intended at your own leisure. Look it up on What what the Truck on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Or look it up on FreightCast. FreightCast is our podcast feed. If you're not familiar, FreightCast is our podcast feed that has every single Freight Wave show. And there are over 14 Freight waves programs now that are either simulcast as both TVs and podcasts, podcast exclusives, or more. And that FreightCast feed, it has your show, The Midday Market Update, which That's is right. a twice-a-week daily news show you do with Kevin Hill, where you interview leaders. Uh, what the Truck is kind of the, the crazier, more party bus version of that show. <laughs> it uh, is definitely uh, We've got the Morning Minute on there, the 60-second news read I do every morning. Um, Supply Chain Spotlight, brand-new show that we launched. It's hosted by our own uh, Chief Strategy Officer J.T. Ingstrom and George Abernathy. There is just a fabulous Episode of that of that that dropped last week.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So check all those things out right there. My my freight forecasting hasn't made it on there yet though. Uh, it's not <laughs> because you
0: use too many visuals. It's yeah, an audio. It's an audio medium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so let's, let's look back, though, at leadership and logistics is the next normal, right? In the next normal with Michelle Halkerston and Heather Sheehan. Heather said something interesting, and she was talking about the traditional supply chain is not flexible or resilient, and it was exposed by the pandemic. And, you know, that South America question we just got asked in the Slack, it sort of speaks to that. And I remember in the race to blockchain, you know, there was a lot of problems. I've worked in the 3PL side, I've worked in the global shipping side, and people are like, yes, this will be a very easy, immutable ledger, and everyone can get just involved. And I always kind of, like, looked at that a little crooked because I've dealt with global supply chains. You're dealing with d- different countries and different organizations that have different levels of technology and ability to fulfill those platforms. And this isn't a problem that's exclusive to blockchain or anything. It's right. just a problem in supply chain as we go through these growing pains of digitizing everything. But it's super exciting to see where we are in that movement now. And if our Carrier Summit a few weeks ago, if you remember, the big talk then was integrating mm-hmm. this technology. Here in America, a lot of companies accept they needed visibility tools, table Table stakes, Michael Vincent, but how do you integrate them? Well, we're going to talk next, though, at a global level. Our next guest that is coming on here is David Arsenal. He's the advisor to Bloom's CEO. He's a fourth generation merchant marine. We're super excited to talk to him from oh, Tales yeah. of the High Sea and Tales of Running Freight. He's got a, uh, a wonderful background, threw his family in there. And you know what? He is licensed to, to captain a vessel anywhere, any, any vessel size, in the world.
1: anywhere in the world, yep. is what he told us. And uh, he's got a,
0: he, he knows how to read an old-fashioned celestial navigator. Super exciting stuff. Like we said, go to live.freightwaves.com. This is what the truck set. We're going to have four guests for you in between each of these commercials when we throw to the feed over here. Caitlin Murphy, thanks again for your comments. Melissa Klum says we're excited for the segment coming up featuring David Arsenal. So are we. It's going to be up here in just a minute. And in the general comments... Juan Baba says, Adam Robinson, I would be surprised this trend gaining strength in these post-COVID months, especially in emerging economies. Don't be surprised if you start seeing buy local or buy inter-country become a thing as we prepare for the effects of the global trade equation. Wow. We'll dive deeper on all of this right after the break when we're here. Welcome back to What the Truck here at... Global Trade Tech, presented by American Shipper. I'm Dooner, here with the dude, and we are super excited to bring on our first guest. It is David Arsenal. He's the advisor to Bloom's CEO. He is that fourth-generation merchant marine. He graduated from the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy, located in Kings Point, New York. David, thank you so much for joining us on the air today.
2: Thanks, guys. I'm happy to be here.
0: Now, we got a little insight, and I'm a Zoom watcher. I don't know about you guys when you watch conferences, but I'm always looking at all the knickknacks in people's rooms and the couch and everything, and <laughs> I saw that are. wonderful, wonderful wheel behind you, right? Tell us a little bit about that and your merchant marine background, because I think, I think it's fascinating.
2: Well, that, uh, that ship wheel came, came off of a, of a vessel, actually, that I, I did not own, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> but I was able to pick that up. But maybe more importantly, the one that has more sentimental value to me is the sexting over my other shoulder, which is used in celestial navigation. That was my grandfather's. As you mentioned, I'm a fourth-generation mariner. So uh, he was a, a, a captain in the U.S. Navy and the Merchant Marine. Um, that sextant has seen more action than most anyone on the planet, and I only wish it could talk right now because the sea stories it would have would be something.
0: Now, what would a uh, young now person, I just before we, we move into this, so what would a young person learn by going to the Merchant Marine Academy? You're a fourth generation so you're sold on it.
2: Well, you know, um, my degree and my background is in logistics and supply chain, so it's uh, certainly uh, an excellent avenue to go in that aspect, but certainly uh, you come through with either a captain's license or, or I should say, a, a deck officer license or an engineering license, whether you're going to work up on, on deck on the bridge navigating or whether you'll be below deck making sure the engine is running uh, to keep the ship moving forward, but it's one of the five federal service academies in the uh, in the country right now so you need a an appointment from a senator or a congressman and and an acceptance of the academy it's a full full scholarship at the uh, at the school yeah, you know, uh,
1: David, in, in reviewing your, your exact bio, obviously you have very impressive impressive bio, and, you know, including international supply chain background includes being CEO of a major shipping company, HMMA, CCO of a technology company, Globe Wireless, CSO of an uh, IEP, DCLI, and president of your own consulting company. And, uh, you know, aside from having a great football name, as we discussed before, my favorite <laughs> soccer team, who do you root for? I root for Arsenal, Yes, <laughs> they're, they're, in the Premier, they're in the Premier League. What, what, what can you tell us about, seriously though, what can you tell us about Bloom Global and their digital solutions that makes Bloom uh,
2: unique? You know, when you, if you think about Bloom and the roots or the origins before it became Bloom, you know, this is a company that has got a 26 year history starting back as Res One, um, really on the domestic intermodal where they really got their initial footprint established. And if you think about the domestic intermodal space itself, it's really the rail in lieu of truck. So from a supply chain perspective, it comes down to hours. And what we really looked at uh, with, is, was building off of that initial foundation and 26 years of big data that was really supporting the domestic intermodal business in the U.S. and expanding that out to really an international multimodal TMS that we now have established through Bloom today. It's been a really exciting journey, and, and I joined the company about the same time that Pravinder did a couple of years ago. He's one of the sharpest minds in the business, and he really understands it from both the technology perspective, but with his unique background coming from Hewlett Packard, he, knows, he sees it from a customer perspective view. So when you look at that and where I come in to, to really help in subject matter expertise is kind of on, the, on all things kind of logistics and, uh, and working through that process. It's the excitement of kind of building on a 26-year foundation, but with all of of the the excitement of a a new startup as we've really rolled out and developed a whole suite of new solutions that really provide that end-to-end global supply chain visibility that for years has been so elusive.
0: David, let's talk about those solutions. 2020, it's been the great pivot for for everybody. You know, everybody's chance of change. So let's talk about having the right solutions at the right time. What, what kind of digital solutions is Bloom Global offering, and how do they fit into this equation?
2: Well, you know, what we're seeing, if you go back over time, you know, we saw the impact of like the Great Recession of 2008 and 9, and then the, the, what was thought to be a recovery in 2010, which turned out to be more of an inventory replenishment push more than anything, um, where there used to be events that would affect, you know, every six years on the contracts with the, either the ILA or ILWU, what we've seen in more recent times is every year there is now some major supply chain disruptive event. So it's, it's not an exception anymore. It's kind of the rule. If you go back to 2015, 2016, we had the ILWU contract negotiations that impacted ports on the entire U.S. West Coast. Mm-hmm. In 16, mm-hmm. 17, you had the impact of Hanjin bankruptcy and all the cargo that got stranded on vessels all over the world. In 18, 19, we started to see the, uh, the impact of, of the trade uh, tariffs with, the, with China and a shift in sourcing there. And now more recently with COVID. So what really has happened is with the solutions that Bloom has developed, with, which is really that true end-to-end global supply chain visibility across all modes, um, is, is something that is enabling companies who thought they maybe had an excellent supply chain in place. But what it turned out to be is when you introduce the level of stress that we're seeing now in these supply chains, it exposes any vulnerabilities and weaknesses that you have. And what we're now finding is that uh, a lot of people's, a lot of customers' supply chains were working more through muscle memory than really having the truly nimble supply chain that's needed. And when we see COVID, what this was one area that I found, if you look back over history of other supply chain disruptions, we haven't seen anything quite like this, where we see now kind of a bifurcation of the supply chain where there's some like PPE commodities, that need to be accelerated through the supply chain, while we have on the same vessel, moving with the same trucks, the same labor groups, the same railroads, other cargo that we have customers trying to slow down through the supply chain. And you know it, it's a completely different technology that's required to do that, not just having the visibility to identifying your outliers and your exceptions, but also having the logistics execution capabilities to actually, once you've identified them, to start to impact the behavior of your supply chain differently, and to make changes to either accelerate or decelerate cargo in that chain.
1: Excellent stuff, David. We only have a couple minutes left here, but so tell us about what type of merging trends are you seeing going forward as a result of the recent supply chain impacts and and the exposure of these the fragility fragile nature of it.
2: Well, it's a a great question. And I think first and foremost, and this is not just a brand new trend with COVID, but something that has been evolving, origin diversification, where we saw in 2019, uh, China lost about a 6% share of the Trans-Pacific trade. Uh, That has continued now with COVID. Uh, We're seeing some of that with onshoring or nearshoring, but also a shift towards production and uh, sourcing in Southeast and West Asia which is also then having an impact on routing. And we're start, we're seeing impacts on, on routing cargo through other alternative gateways in the U S we're seeing re- big box retailers and others that are clearly looking at new strategic locations for distribution centers and e-fulfillment centers as a result of that change, which are long-term decisions. We've seen through this pandemic, there were clearly winners and losers. The, uh, Companies that were more tech-savvy and, and tech-enabled and, and and had deeper roots into e-commerce have certainly been winners through this pandemic, while the others that are were more traditional and were perhaps were not as forward-leaning into technology uh, and more brick-and-mortar were, were, were truly struggling now through this. But David- uh, we're seeing a big push for those companies now that have identified some supply chain vulnerabilities to really look at technology and really lean into it heavily to say thank that, you David. You know, David
0: thank it. you thank you very much you've been our celestial guide throughout this segment here talking about bloom solutions people who want to learn more where should they go
2: please come to bloomglobal.com uh we have a whole team here that's ready willing and able to assist and support you through uh, any of the supply chain inquiries that you have and to get you set up thank you very much
0: for your time today captain He was a great guest. I I love the background. By the way, Samantha Folia Turvo, she points something out. That girl from Turvo is Kendall Scott. You guys can chat with Kendall Scott in the demo.turvo Slack channel. So go do that. We're going to go into break right now. When we come back, we'll be talking to George Lorenz from Triumph Pay. Now we're excited to bring up George Lorenz. He's the VP of Business Development at Triumph Pay. But you know what? He's also a Drone Academy graduate. And uh, I think he might be an avid guitar player as well. We got to peek uh, into his room and he has a a wonderful guitar sitting right next to him.
1: It's a bad move letting us look in your room.
3: <laughs> wow. that's a, that's a very petrifying thought having Dooner and Mike <laughs> in <into> my room. <laughs> <It's> scary. <laughs>
0: I know. Usually, uh, it, you know, it takes a night a midnight venture outside. Make,
1: make sure you put some black tape over that camera on your laptop, George, when we're done. Yeah.
0: We love it. Actually, he said that he had graduated the Drone Academy, but yeah. Pay is doing so well that he's been so busy, he hasn't been able to fly the, the drone in a while. So good news, bad news, right? Yeah, good news, bad news. <laughs> well, George, we're going to learn some exciting stuff from you today on try and Pay. Now, try and Pay, uh, big friends of What the Truck, your team. We've had, uh, I think, almost everyone in your company on the show by now, always excited to to talk to you guys, and, and today, uh, I don't know what are we going to talk about. Some of the key drivers behind change in the carrier payments industry. What's going on there, especially on the, in this global trade tech context?
3: Yeah, it's it's a very interesting time in the in the payment space, specifically with shippers. Um, shippers uh, are using new criteria, uh, decision criteria, to make decisions around which. Uh, outsource provider they're going to work with or not work with. And uh, the the, the big move behind that has been the bankruptcies and the frauds that have occurred in the carrier payment space over the last three, four, five years, where hundreds of millions of dollars in carrier payments have gone poof. They've disappeared. Uh, Big shippers have had to repay those missing funds. And what all of those bankruptcies had in common was that they were non-financial institutions. They were non-banks that, was moving, that were moving money, huge sums of money on behalf of Fortune 500 shippers. So the big, the big change in the industry that we see, the big trend is a, uh, what I would call a flight to safety. From that, that now shippers are just saying, "Hey, we're only going to work with banks or financial institutions to move our five hundred million dollars a year in transportation spend." So, so George, is that is that what why
1: it matters or why it is so important uh, for a bank uh, to be managing the carrier payments?
3: So, um, I, I love having this discussion with a shipper because it has an effect on body language. You can see the person uh, on the other side of the table or the boardroom or the screen shift and squirm noticeably when they realize that they're on the wrong side of this issue. And yes, to your question, it matters that a bank is moving funds because banks and financial institutions are heavily regulated they they face we face very very strict scrutiny and oversight from the fed from the sec from state banking regulators from the fdic and what that does is 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 provide shippers with a sense uh, with not a sense but with fiduciary responsibility that they have vetted potential risk They have assessed potential risk, and they've mitigated any potential risk in a third-party relationship that's as important as somebody moving their transportation money. So it's a very big deal.
0: George, can we drill a little deeper on that before we move forward? What are the distinctions between financial versus non-financial payment providers?
3: So, you know, it's one of the um, big—it's not well understood, that distinction between financial and non-financial until recently, that distinction has now become very aware to uh, shippers who have become very aware of it because, again, because of the bankruptcies in the space over the last several years, shippers are no longer taking at face value that the freight audit and, provi- and payment provider that they've been using for 5 or 10 or 15 years is a safe place to uh, to uh, put their transfer their carrier funds into their account. So the to your question, the non financial guys do not face the scrutiny or the regulations from the Fed, SEC, FDIC, state banking regulators. We triumph. We're a publicly traded bank, so we deal with those federal agencies on a daily basis, and that drives a lot of safety, security, and confidence into our shippers uh, business. Makes perfect
1: sense, George. Can we take a little uh, talk and dig into supply chain finance and its importance as a service for payment providers? Can you talk to that a little yeah. bit?
3: Yeah, the, you know, this is another area where the shipper payment processing decision-making has evolved and changed over the last few years, particularly in the COVID economy, uh, the COVID world where shippers are extending their payment terms, right? They're extending their DPO to all of their vendors, including their transportation vendors. And shippers that have a a lot of leverage over their vendors, they've gone from 30 to 45-day standard payment terms, or 45 to 60, or 60 to 90, or even we see some shippers that are at 120, these are the big fortune shippers that have a lot of uh, leverage. You can't do that to your small mid-sized carrier base. They're going to you're going to put them out of business or they're just going to stop picking up your your freight. They're going to move to another shipper. So what shippers that have extended their payment terms and many of them have in the covid world because they're hanging on to their cash. They've created a war chest of cash. They need to hang on to cash as long as possible. And that means deferring payments to uh, carriers. That's where Triumph Pay steps in. And we go out to the carriers and say, hey, listen, for you guys that need your cash sooner, our supply chain finance products, what we call QuickPay, we're going to get you paid upon invoice approval. We'll get you paid today. And then the shipper pays us back at standard payment terms. 30, 60, 90, 120. So it's a win win for both sides. That's why supply chain finance, the quick pay, the advanced payment option has become so important.
0: George, out of curiosity, what are the costs to process carrier payments in house?
3: (laughs) So it's another uh, reason why shippers want to outsource their carrier payments, it's expensive. We just collaborated with the uh, Journal of Commerce on a uh, freight payment study, and it's you're going to start if you're a Fortune shipper, so and you're even you have a streamlined, efficient operation. You're paying ten to eleven dollars per each invoice to process it in house. If you're a smaller shipper that's not as efficient, you don't have those systems and technology in place. You could be paying up to 35 to 45, 50 bucks an invoice. So, the, the operation costs to shippers are enormous for keeping that in house and doing it in their accounts payable department. So, in our model, those costs disappear. That labor's on us, the technology's on us, the processing, the, pr- the expert processes that we have in place, it's all on us. So, you know, shippers take a lot of costs out of their back office by outsourcing. Sounds
0: good. Sounds good to me, George. How do people learn more? Where should they where should they go after this? if They want to know more about Triumph Pay and what you guys have to offer.
3: Please reach out to me, George Lorenz at Triumph Pay. Um, You can visit my LinkedIn site. Be happy to talk to you. Email me. Um, we have a lot, you know, I, again, I, I, I'm, I'm focused on the shipper market. We have two markets of triumph, freight brokers, 3PLs and shippers. I yeah. work with shippers. So if you're a shipper and you're looking to outsource payments, if you're looking for safety, security of funds and your data, please get in touch with me and let's chat.
0: Well, George, we're going to have to have you back on. We noticed that guitar in the background. We'll have to have you on What the Truck, have you play a lick for us during a Play It Forward segment. For those of you not familiar, Play It Forward is when we have supply chain professionals come on. Play us a little music on there, then talk a little shop. It's a fun segment. We'll have you back in the future for sure. Well, well, we got to go into break, but we'll be be right back with uh, Doug Schreier from Transflow. Stick with us through the commercial right here at GTT. Let's let a little bell bring us back. You know, George yeah. Lorenz was asking us to, to play him out. Unfortunately we had a, we had to rush into that ad and get yeah. and, and invite him on to play it forward. But hopefully we can bang this with him and he'll play that awesome guitar. You're telling me about that guitar head on there. I mean that's a that's a nice uh... That's a nice little strummer he's got. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is.
1: No <laughs> doubt about it. Hey,
0: who it's we got We of, are coming way. up right now? It's uh, Doug Schreier, VP of Product and Innovation at Transloy. He wants to talk about removing friction from supply chain and the rise of digital. Doug, thank you for joining us. And it looks like you're back in the office. How are things
4: over there? You know, we're doing great. We're, we're starting to get some more people back in the office. But uh, most people still at home uh, fighting through this COVID thing. Yeah. How you been,
0: how you been handling it, man? Let's, let's learn about you personally for a second here.
4: Yeah. Well, you know you guys know I used to be in Chattanooga, so you guys have a special uh, place in my heart up there, but you know down here in Tampa you know it's been uh it's been fun a little Eileen uh with four kids at home is always fun when uh trying to innovate for our customers, so it, <laughs> it, it's definitely a catalyst for change in many different ways, both this from parenting ch- and from business.
0: The struggle is real, Doug. I am. Uh, I, I have a, my own little kindergarten going on in my house right now. I yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Often doing What the Truck's right from there. <laughs> um, what do we want to talk about here? The, let's talk about some of the common issues with, with friction, right? This is something you're passionate about. You want to talk about removing friction from the supply chain, the rise of digital. So what are yeah. some of those issues? you got to identify them before you destroy them.
4: Yeah, you, you absolutely do. And, you know, last time I was on, you know, I was on uh, What the Truck, and I did another session for Freight Waves. We, we frequently talk about friction within the supply chain last time we talked about the brokerage side of it and the fact that you know there's a lot of friction between a carrier and their drivers and a broker and how we communicate, create freight visibility create on-time payments like try and pay one of our great partners was just talking about um, you know we're we're looking to solve that through a connected ecosystem we have uh, one of the largest footprints in the the mobile uh, space. But since COVID, uh, we've really focused on uh, working with partners and driving towards the shippers. Uh, We we think there's a big opportunity there. If you think about a driver approaching a yard for the first time, how do they get into the yard? How do we get the paperwork out of their hands and actually onto their phone or the devices? A lot of opportunity for us to move forward there.
1: Excellent stuff, so you know um doug we've we've talked about the the current uh situation that we have that we're in and the effects of covid et cetera on the supply chain and how it it really exposed the fragile nature of it or the weak links in people's supply chain, et cetera, but it's also some done some other things. Can you talk a little bit about the current landscape and how it's been accelerating towards the shift uh yeah. towards digitization?
4: yeah, besides us all spending uh, the entire day on zoom meetings uh, it's really helped us look at the supply chain as a whole, um, look at what's causing slowness within the process, where before it might have been okay to have Sally as part of the manual process there. Now that Sally has to be at home, how do you digitize the work that she's doing? Uh, we've all talked about, it. anybody within transportation says, why is there paperwork? Uh, within the supply chain. Does it really need to be the paperwork or whatnot? And uh, we believe that the kind of current landscape has uh, created this acceleration for change uh, digitization, uh, acceptance of EBOLs, EPODs, um, and really kind of a driver-facing workflow when they hit the yard. Um, you know, and that's really where we're focused on is helping our customers through this catalyst, helping them digitize their operations and, and uh, you know, comply with social distancing. Even when we move out of the the COVID situation we're in now it's going to be a new normal uh, for us, we're, we're, we're not going to go back to the way things were a year ago um, as quickly as we'd all like to do. Um, and still through that, we think we can digitize and, and keep people safe on the road.
0: Doug, I think one of the challenges that freight marketers have is a lot of the messaging has become very homogenized uh connecting this visibility that all of those kind of things, but without context, that doesn't really mean anything to a customer so let's talk about let's talk about actionables, right How do these tools increase that efficiency how do they improve that cash flow? How do they reduce costs let's let's talk about that
4: yeah absolutely so so first thing is you know, we, we have a, a mission here to provide a frictionless supply chain for a connected ecosystem people can trust. So we started in paperwork processing. We want to re ourselves and, and, and go towards away from paper and into true digital uh, footprint. The the major battleground that we see, uh, whether we talk about a, you know, a carrier or we talk about a broker or a shipper or somebody else within the supply chain, it's, you know, the footprint with, uh, the driver. You have a hundred thousand plus carriers out there, ten thousand plus brokers of size out there, and countless shippers. Uh, it's a battle of the screen, and, and we've all seen you know slow screen adoption. Um, but Transpo started this business uh, on the mobile front in 2011, and since has grown to a large footprint that can help wage that war and digitize the freight.
1: You know, Doug, it might be obvious to some people about, you know, going paperless, et cetera. But can you talk to more, give us a deeper understanding of what those benefits are really with going going paperless for the visibility, communication between drivers, carriers, freight brokers, shippers, really throughout the entire supply chain?
4: Yeah, you know, we we talk whether we're with our partners, Triumph, or we're looking at how do we automate the back office Um you know, paperwork really is data when you look at it, right? And we all talk about how do we, you know, turn data into value within an organization. And, you know, the old way of doing paperwork is, you know, chipper had information within their system. They created a BOL and went to the driver. The driver will ultimately go into a truck stop or a Dropbox, send that information into Transflow. We would scan it again, send it to the carrier. Carrier would extract manually, information off that that document create another document to send to invoice package the invoice package will either go to the broker uh go to the 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 shipper and not a shipper or their auditing body is sitting there extracting that data back off Uh, we want to get it to a place where it's really a connected digital ecosystem uh, of document intelligence right if we have the source data at the very get-go why are we taking it from digital data converting it to paper to just reconvert it to digital data. And every single time you do that, you lose some accuracy there, Um, albeit we're able to maintain high accuracy. You're still losing it. You've just got the cost of multiple processing, and people aren't connected with the net supply chain. Our goal ultimately is to go back to the front, work with our shippers and the partners of our shippers uh, to grab that information, create that electronic flow of data all the way through the supply chain, and then there's huge lasting effects there. If an auditing body has a question in regards to if there was truly a lumper um, for this load or if there wasn't, they can easily come back into the data and document cloud and, and see the lumper receipt. If, the, you know, they have a detention issue when they have a specific detention flow for their sites. They could come in and see if the, the carrier was compliant and, if so, easily pay them. But helping the carrier get to a almost a pre-audited state where they know when they submit the invoice that it's going to be approved by the shipper and getting some of the costs of the shippers, having to manually audit that away from them uh, creates some large value uh, within it. And then also helps with payment terms.
0: Jossie Ramos in the comments here on LinkedIn, he said, I can tell you firsthand that digitizing tenders, BOLs, online onboarding, et cetera, is a lot faster and truly does help. Yeah, I mean, freight might be one of the only industries we have to convince people in the year 2020 that paperless makes sense. Yeah. But we come from a world where I remember when I was working at 3PLs doing entries, Michael Vincent. It's like one mm-hmm. of those worlds where uh, a paperless release was still on paper. It just meant you didn't have to send entry docs down to, to customs. You know, but that, that's the world of freight, man. That's yeah, exactly uh, right. <laughs> we, have about, we have about 70 seconds here. So tell people where they can go after this and where they can get some more information, Doug.
4: Yeah, absolutely. First, yo, uh, check us out on the Slack channel. You got myself and my director, Mark, and some other people in there would love to connect with you. Our website's transflow.com. Uh you can look me up on LinkedIn um or shoot me an email it's dshirr at uh, whether you're a partner a shipper or a carrier or somebody else within the you know supply chain we want to work with you solve your issues and reduce the friction between members of the supply chain
0: wow fantastic uh patrick duffy had a great question i wish we had a little bit more time to it um if you can get this in in 15 seconds what's adoption been like and has there been a hurdle is there a quick answer
4: yeah. Adoption from the carry has been a uh, uh, pretty quick adoption from the shippers in regards to integration partnership. So we're seeing a lot of traction uh, start there now with several big POCs in place.
0: Wow. Patrick Duffy. Thank you for your Excellent. question. Doug Schreier. Thank you for your time. By the way, I, Haley Evans, she says, hey there, if George doesn't bring it up, will you tell people to stop by our Zoom room if they have any additional questions? So check out Try and pay Zoom room. They were just on here. When we come back, we're going to talk to Kendra Phillips. Yeah. She's the CTO over at Rider System. We'll bring her right up on the other side of this commercial. Uh, she's got a lot of fans here in the comments, too, so it should be exciting. Michael Vincent, Miami is on my mind because we are going to be talking to Ryder Systems. Right Kendra Phillips, she's a CTO and, uh, you know, a bit of a rare breed. She's a 14-year veteran with the same company. She is with Ryder, yeah. right? And it's not Systems. No, it's system. <laughs> it <Yes>. is system. <laughs> Chief K- Technology Officer, right? Kendra, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, what's up in Miami?
5: Hey, thank you for having me. You know, Miami, hot and humid as always.
0: I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. You know, it says here, as Chief Technology Officer and VP of New Products, you've been responsible for overseeing the evolution, development, and deployment of new technologies and digital products for the supply chain and dedicated translation solution business for RIDER. So let's put some historical perspective of this. You know, you've got that 14 years experience, so you've seen technology evolve within the supply chain. This is, what, that would be back in 2006? So what kind of yeah. changes have you seen at RIDER, and how have your customers' demands changed? Because your customers' demands are what really fuel the innovation?
5: No, it's a great point you're making. And in my 14 years, I would say it's a drastic change. Um, As some of your previous speakers were saying, I mean, the industry is so heavily paper-based and we were absolutely very paper-based back then. I think technology was more of something you had to have than something you wanted to have. And that has really changed in the industry. Now we see it as a, a very important competitive differentiator for our customers and something we focus on bringing forward to the market. And we're very proud of our product rider share that really talks a lot about, again, some of your earlier speakers with visibility and collaboration. So it's something we started about a year ago bringing to our customers, and we're seeing a lot of benefit, especially through COVID.
1: Excellent stuff. So, Kendra, can we talk a little bit about breaking down silos, right? I mean, obviously, now the urgency for real-time visibility and transparency and and collaboration with data, et cetera, is, is really important as we move forward in the supply chain. So, can you speak to that a little bit? What is breaking down silos? What are we talking about here, and what is the importance?
5: yeah i think when when we look at our customers as a 3pl we see supply chains a little bit differently than others and what we see is is supply chains where everyone only sees their component of it right so you have a supplier a shipper a carrier a customer the 3pl no one has a complete end to end view and when you talk about what are some of the biggest challenges in the industry we really see that as one of the biggest challenges. You know, everyone only can see their component of the supply chain. No one has that holistic picture. So, with with RiderShare, we really focus on how do we break down those silos? How do we bring everyone into the same information at the same time so they can make decisions together with real time data? And you had Jonathan write on earlier from IBM, an earlier segment, and. He was talking a lot about that, and it really hit home to me, right? You've got to give everyone real-time data. You have to let them see the same data at the same time. And when I say everyone, I mean different parties in the supply chain so that they can work together um, to be nimble and to make quick decisions and to deal with issues as they arise. So that's what we mean when we talk about breaking down silos.
0: You know, I'd like to hear the story of of WriterShare, especially in this context. Because let's go back to that 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 comment from Kendall Scott, who is saying that you can't really even call it a supply chain anymore. It's a supply chain network. It's a web. It's both the physical and the digital coming together. Where does where does WriterShare fit into that equation? What is WriterShare? Tell us a little bit about that story and that journey. Yeah,
5: it's a great point. So. Rider Share, I think Kendall's comment is appropriate. Rider Share is really meant to kind of sit on top of that that network, right? And be that interconnectivity for, for our customers and for their customers. And by doing that, we believe you can bring a very differentiated customer service. So our customers as shippers, it enables them to address issues with COVID. For for example, we had a customer when COVID hit, their volumes went up by 50% almost overnight right? If if you don't have that interconnected network, if you can't real time interact with your suppliers and interact with your customers, you're not going to be able to manage that. And that's the beauty of ridershare, share. And that's really the beauty of what Kendall's talking about with that interconnected network.
0: You know, what's funny, uh, Victoria McClosish, by the way, shout out to her. I think she's just launching a podcast. And as a fellow podcaster, I got to say, good luck. Support all the indie podcasts and and one starting out some Victoria. But she says, yes, Kendra, break down those silos. But I'll tell you something. From working at a 4PL, one of the the biggest silos isn't sort of the digital connectivity. It's actually the culture and the operations of these companies where you're trying to break these silos down. So having great tech is important. But how do you also convince the people who make the decisions to rip those silos down?
5: Yeah, you know, it's it's very important. So there's what we see, and I think it's a real challenge is at an executive level, there's so much interest in all these topics, right? Everything you guys are talking about today, executives are on board. But when you get to the operator on the ground, the person who's been doing their job the same way for 30 years, it's a little bit harder to get them to buy in. And and that's really a big challenge in rolling out any new technology. Um, so At Rider, we have to not just have the technology, but we have to be able to operationalize it for our customers. And so we actually have an entire team focused on customer adoption and enablement to really work with those people on the ground to ensure that they're understanding the purpose for the technology and they're getting the value from the technology. And and that's the way we try to make a difference. And I, I would say the other thing that's obvious, but sometimes hard to do, is that technology has to be simple, right? It has to be easy to understand and easy to use so that people can they're not intimidated by it. They're able to get on board pretty quickly.
1: That's excellent stuff. So can you speak to some of the benefits that some of these customers are seeing from these specifically some of the numbers that they're seeing customer service, uh, uh, efficient labor planning, that type of stuff.
5: Yes, absolutely. So with rider share, we've had some really amazing results for our customers. Um, so our customers who have customer service departments, they've actually been able to um, reduce the time their, their customer services spends, answering calls from their customers, a lot of word customers, by about 50%. So they've really been able to take their personnel and find a different use for them for about 50% of their time, which is a huge number and a very significant cost savings. Um, same thing for receiving. So customers who are receiving goods at a dock or at a store, they are a, have been able to have better planning and find 30% better optimization for those um, employees. And then The other thing, we have some customers who don't invoice until point of delivery. So with real-time e-signature or proof of delivery, some of our customers were waiting four to five days for that paper to get back to their administrative offices Mm -hmm. and actually do the invoicing. And now they're able to do that instantaneously at the moment of delivery. So they're, they're really seeing a huge improvement and benefit there.
0: Yeah, instant revenue recognition, right? I mean, in a year or two, especially at the beginning of COVID, when everyone thought money was going to be incredibly tight, everyone was cutting back. How powerful That's is powerful knowing that you have that in your back pocket and you don't have that, un- and you don't have that uncertainty? Uh, we have about a minute left to hear, hear with you. Uh, what would you like to get out and where can people find more information?
5: Yeah, thanks for asking. So you can always go to Rider.com or if you want to learn more about RiderShare, it's Rider.com backslash RiderShare. Um, and then we do have a Slack channel as well. So please feel free to reach out to us. Oh, wow. Fantastic. So thank you Fantastic. all very much. No,
0: thank you. Thank you for joining thank us on you. the show today. We really appreciate it. And enjoy that lovely uh, Miami weather. Yeah,
1: <laughs> we will. So, <laughs> she, Michael Vincent. We she sp- had me at 50%. She sure did.
0: So after <laughs> this, after this session here, we have an icebreaker. So you can go yeah. and you can talk to each other. You can, you can stop slacking. You can stop typing. You can actually start using your mouths like us up here. You can, uh, you can act like the professionals and have little conversations with one That's another. Right. It's That's fun. Right. You never know who you're going to get matched with. You never know who you're going to get matched with, Michael Vincent. It could be you. Yeah, well, it could be you. You could win that they espresso. You be so lucky. You got to sign up. You win that espresso <laughs> machine. You get to live.freightwaves.com to register. And we got a whole slate of events. I have a Put That Coffee Down coming up with uh, Kevin Hill, oh, another yeah. podcast. Hope you guys don't get sick of me. But <laughs> we have a, another one. We're going to be talking about visibility with Robin Jacks. That's going to be super exciting from
1: Ocean Insight. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. I can't wait to see it.
0: It is. That. And we're talking about selling visibility. And there's a lot okay. of sales professionals here listening. Well, it's uh, relatively newer products, but how do you sell it? And we talked about that that sort of marketing copy. A lot of things sound similar, but how do you, because in a lot of ways, visibility is stable takes, but it also sells itself because you need it. You know, Amazon has changed the entire dynamic and the entire effect.
1: They, they really have, but it's one of those things where you've, it's hard to get to the tangible, right? Yeah. Everybody understands visibility, but you've got to be able to explain it rightly and how do you get to those tangibles. So that's going to be really interesting. You know what's also going to be interesting?
0: Benjamin Gordon, right? Global Logistics. Mm. How are technology startups disrupting global freight and how can the giants fight back. Can you compete in this world? Can you? I bet you can, especially if you listen to that session. So yeah. stick with us. Join the icebreaker. This has been What the Truck. Subscribe to it on your favorite podcast player. We'll be right back after the break here at Global Trade Tech by American Shipper.